thanks so much for joining us this weekend. We're especially glad you're joining us if you don't consider yourself a church person or a religious person. And if you're new or relatively new, we have a gift to thank you for being with us today. Simply text the word welcome to 410-216-5534. Or if you are here on Ridgely Road, you have the option of stopping by our welcome center uh, when we're finished here today. So we are in the fourth week of a series we are calling Seriously God. And when we started this series out a couple weeks ago, we talked about how there comes these times where we have a gap. We have a gap because we believe, God, we're told that God is all loving and all powerful God, and then we have the realities of life. We have our human experiences where it seems where we can't understand why a good and loving and all powerful God would act as he does. And so over the last, we, we said that when we come to these gaps or have these experiences, they can be an obstacle to our relationship with God. But if we choose to lean in, these experiences can actually draw us closer into a relationship with God. We can actually come to a better faith and trust in him. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of those obstacles, some of those issues that can apparently get in our way of our relationship and trust with God. Two weeks ago, we looked at when God says no. For many people, God can be seen as this cosmic cop in the sky who's given us rules and laws and always saying no. But la well, we looked at the temptation of Jesus in the desert and he said no, and he had an understanding of the Father's no's that they always were for freedom, that the ability to say no can lead to greater freedom. And last week, we talked about Abraham. Abraham felt let down by God and we can feel like God has let us down at times. Abraham felt let down because God had promised the son and he hadn't gotten one. And so we talked about how God was building up Abraham's faith and trust so that his faith would be solid enough, would be a solid enough foundation for God to pour the many blessings he wanted to pour on Abraham. And so is true with us, that often God is building up our faith so we can handle his blessings. Today we are looking at when the wrong people are in charge. We call this a chapter, Seriously God, Those People Are In Charge. Uh, and so no matter your political leadings, you've felt like that at times, you know, the, whoever's in office or, you know, there's somebody in office, you can't understand why God would allow that person to get to that position. Or maybe you look at Ukraine and certainly we see the, the problem there is self-serving leaders and corruption and leadership. But we don't have to look to the national or international stage to see the wrong people being in charge, to see self-serving leaders. We've experienced that more on a, a micro level. You might have experienced that with a teacher. You had a t you're, you're a middle school student, high school student, college student, and like your teacher is out to get you. Or maybe you're a parent and it's your son or daughter that, that, that they're just having a horrible experience in a class because of their teacher. I remember one year my wife saying over and over again, that teacher needs to retire. That teacher needs to retire. And she kept saying it because one of my sons would come home day after day utterly frustrated that the teacher was picking on him and all the other boys in his class. You could be stuck behind a bad coach. There's a coach that just won't give you playing time or won't give your son and daughter playing time. And the, the coach's son, the coach's daughter, they're not nearly as talented as your child, but their son, their daughter's getting all the playing time. Maybe it's a bad boss. You work for someone who doesn't really listen to you or is not giving you any kind of opportunity or they're just in a bad mood all the time and so it's affecting your mood and you come home day after day frustrated. Or it's not your immediate boss, it's the larger organization, it's the senior management. They're just so arrogant. They're so arrogant, they don't listen to anyone. 
And because they don't listen, you see as week after week, month after month, good people are leaving the organization, they're leaving the company, you wonder, when's it going to catch up to them? And then there's the church. I mean, you would think of all the places that God would protect his people from, from poor leadership. You would think God would protect his people in the church, but we know there are many poor leaders, self-serving leaders in the church. And this isn't a new thing. When Napoleon was rising to power, he, turned to the, he said to the Pope, Pope Pius VII at that time, he said, I will destroy this church of yours. And the Pope reportedly said, if 1,800 years of clergy couldn't do it, what makes you hope that you will succeed? <laughs> so this is not a new thing. It's not a new thing in the church. It's not a surprise to God in the scriptures either. That in the scriptures, over and over again, we see God's mind and heart when it comes to self-serving leaders. And, and it's a reminder that, again, even though God is all sovereign and all powerful, it doesn't surprise him that there's self-serving leadership in our world. I was listening to a, a podcast recently, um, interview of Philip Yancey, who was a Christian writer, but he was an atheist for a time. And he talked about how, as you read the scriptures, as you read the Bible, in there, every argument atheist makes, it's already in the Bible. He talked about how cool it is that God is not afraid of these arguments. God is not afraid that when we're frustrated with him, with self-serving leaders, there's story after story in the scripture of which we hear God's heart and mind about it. So there's a lot of passages of scripture we could look at today, but we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 and the call of Moses. So before we get to that passage, let me give you a little background on Moses' life in case you've forgotten or this is new information. So Moses is, was Jewish, an Israelite, and he, but he grew up in Exodus or in Egypt. And he grew up in Egypt at a time when the Israelites were enslaved. And now, furthermore, the Pharaoh had ordered that all male Israelite children, that after they were born, would be thrown into the Nile River. The Pharaoh fear, feared that the Israelites would, would do an uprising otherwise. So when Moses is born, his mother hides him for as long as she possibly can. But when she can no longer hide him, she puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile River. And as chance or providence would have it, the Pharaoh's daughter is bathing at that time in the Nile, and she sees the baby, she sees Moses, and she takes him out of the water. It's actually what Moses means. It means drawn out of water. She takes Moses out of the water, and she raises him as her very, as her very own son. So Moses grows up in the Pharaoh's household, all the time knowing he's an Israelite. And knowing that his, his people are being oppressed, they're being enslaved. <clears throat> so he grows up and he sees this day after day and something is, and anger continues to grow and grow within Moses. So one day he's out and about and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating on an Israelite and something in him snaps and he kills the Egyptian taskmaster and buries him in the sand. Well, the next day, Moses is going about his life, and there he sees two Israelites fighting. In fact, he sees one Israelite on top of the other just pounding on him and beating him up. And Moses grabs the guy by the shirt. He yanks them off, him off. And he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Isn't it bad enough that the Egyptians are oppressing us, that you have to beat up your fellow Israelite? To which this guy says, who are you? Who are you to talk to me? And are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian taskmaster? Well, with that, 
Moses knows he's been found out and he knows he's a criminal. So he runs away. He runs away from Egypt to a place called Midian. And there in Midian, he meets a woman. He gets married. He settles down. He goes to work for his father-in-law Jethro as a shepherd. He has some children. And he has an ordinary everyday life as a shepherd. That is until he has this encounter. We're told, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, leading the flock across the desert. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flaming out of a bush. As he looked on, he was surprised to see that the bush, though it was on fire, was not consumed. So Moses is living his ordinary everyday life and he sees something very out of the ordinary. He sees a bush on fire. Now, that's not all that surprising. In the desert, bushes spontaneously combust all the time due to the lack of water and the intense sunlight and heat. But this one is not consumed and it gets Moses' attention. It's God getting his attention. This week, as you go about your life, if there's something out of the ordinary in your ordinary day life, slow down. Maybe that's God getting your attention. So we're told, so Moses decided, I must go over to look at this remarkable site and see why the bush is not burned. So Moses doesn't just keep on going. He stops. He slows it down. He turns aside to see what is happening. He pays attention. And when he pays attention to this thing out of the ordinary, God speaks to him. When the Lord saw him coming over to look at it more closely, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. He answered, here I am. Only when Moses puts aside what he's doing, when he steps aside from the busyness of his life, then does God speak to him. God wants to speak to us, but it's impossible if he doesn't have our attention. It's impossible for us to hear from him if he doesn't have our attention. It's why it's so important that we block off some time on a, on a daily basis to just be quiet, to have some silence, so we can pay attention to what God might want to say to us, the wisdom and encouragement he might want to give us, to, to put aside a time to read the Bible or to read some spiritual reading. God wants to speak to us, but he needs our attention for us to listen and for us to hear it. So Moses pays attention, and then God speaks to him. He says, God, come no nearer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I am the God of your fathers, he continued, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So God says to Moses, this is a holy place. What makes it holy? What makes it sacred? Well, God is there. Any space, any space you have can be a holy space if it's a place where you encounter God and reserve it for that. So God says, God says this is a holy place, but look what Moses' response. He hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Moses was not comfortable in God's presence. He had to hide his face. Maybe it was because he was still carrying guilt and shame from having kill, killed that Egyptian taskmaster. Maybe because he just wasn't in the habit of really speaking with God. But in this encounter with God, he's uncomfortable. Now, I just want to fast forward real quick to a verse later in Exodus. After Moses has spent some time with God, it says this. 
Thus the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. God took Moses from the place where he was uncomfortable in his presence to a place where he could speak to him like he was his friend. The same, God wants to take you on that same journey. Maybe you're here today and you don't feel comfortable in church. You don't feel comfortable in God's presence for, for whatever reason, just because you haven't been in a while or for some other reason. But please know, God wants to take you from a place where you might be uncomfortable in his presence, uncomfortable talking about the things of God, to a place where you see God as your friend. That's the relationship God wants to have with you. And I, I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that we look at people from the Bible, or maybe you look at a friend who's kind of religious and spiritual, and you think they've always been that way. No, this, the scriptures paint a different story, that people gradually came into a deeper relationship with God. But God took, them from being, took Moses from being uncomfortable in his presence to being considering himself a friend of God. So now God says, shares this with, with Moses, and he gets to the point of and starts to answer our question, what is God's mind and what's God's heart when he sees suffering and pain in the world as a result of self-serving leaders? God, God tells Moses, I have witnessed the affliction of my people in Egypt and have heard their cry of complaint against the slave drivers, so I know well that they are suffering. God says to Moses, I see my people in pain. I've witnessed the oppression. I hear the cries of my people. When they're self-serving leaders and we're suffering under it or we see others suffering under their, their leadership, we might, under their authority, we might be saying, God, don't you care? Don't you see what's going on? Don't you hear it, God? Are you deaf? Are you blind to what's going on? And God reminds us, I see it. I hear it. I hear your cries. I hear your cries of frustration. So God says he sees it, he hears it, and then he goes on to say, therefore I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and lead them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God says it's not my will for my people to suffer under self-serving leaders. I wanna lead them to a better place. It is not, your, not God's will. If you are under terrible leadership and you are suffering and you feel enslaved, you feel trapped. That's often the way we feel, isn't it? Under a bad leadership, you feel trapped, you feel enslaved. Please know that is not God's will for you ultimately. As we said in the first week, do not confuse life not making sense with God not making sense. Now God might be permitting you there for a while, but that's not his ultimate aim for your life. He wants to lead you to that broad place, a spacious place, that land where you feel free, where there is milk and honey and abundance. That's God's vision for your life. That's God's vision for the Israelites. But as we talked about last week with Abraham, God wanted to bless the whole world, but he's looking for a partner, someone to work with him so he can bless the whole world through him. In the same way, God is looking for a partner. He's looking for someone to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into this promised land. And so he says to Moses, now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Good news, Moses. 
I see the pain of my people and I want to them, lead them to a better place. I want to lead them out of Egypt. Better news, Moses, I want to use you. And you know what Moses says? To this once in a lifetime opportunity, he says, no. And the rest of Exodus 3 and the first half of Exodus 4 is God working to convince Moses that he should do this. And Moses gives five different excuses for why he can't. The first one is, I'm a nobody. It's like, God, I don't have any power. I don't have any position. I don't have any authority. I, I can't do this. And God says to Moses, well, I'll be with you. And then Moses says, well, I don't even really know you. We just met. You know. And God says, well, I am who I am. It's his most intimate name for himself. He says, besides, join me in this and you'll, you'll get to know me. And then Moses says to God, well, no one's going to believe me. No one's going to believe you talk to me. And I think that's his best excuse, actually. But God says, I'll give him some signs. He shows Moses some things he can do to show that the power of God is behind him. And then Moses says, well, I'm not really all that competent. I can't speak. I stutter. I, God, I'm not competent enough. And God says to Moses, well, who gives people the ability to speak? And I'll be with you again. And, and I'll send some people who can compensate for your incompetencies. And then finally, Moses gives his fifth and final excuse, and it's probably the most common excuse people have when, when they don't want to do something God's asking them to do or somebody else is asking them to do. He says, well, get somebody else. There's got to be somebody else. And the, the scriptures tells us that the anger of the Lord was enkindled against Moses. He just got angry with him. And Moses actually never says yes with his words. The next thing we know, Moses is doing what God has asked him to do, and the rest, as they say, is history. And what we see through ex the rest of Exodus, the books of Exodus, and, is that God is fashioning Moses into this incredible, incredible servant leader. It's an incredible comparison in, in Exodus between self-serving leadership and the Pharaoh who is corrupt and is only serving himself and whose anger gets the most of him, and Moses who learns to, to, to selflessly lead others as he follows the Lord. If you are interested in leadership, the book of Exodus would be a great book of the Bible to read. So going forward this week, what, how do we apply this? Let me give you three possible applications. Number one, if you are in a place under bad leadership and you're struggling and you're suffering, no, that's not God's ultimate will for you. He wants to lead you to a broad and spacious land, place. He has a better vision for your life. But he, he's allowing you in this situation right now because he wants to grow your character in some way. Maybe what you need to learn right now is the importance of patience and perseverance. Maybe, and maybe I suggest this, is that have you talked to your boss yet? Have you talked to the teacher yet? Have you talked to your coach? Have you said, do they know how you're struggling and suffering? And maybe you have to have that tough conversation. Say, hey, can I have a minute of your time? I'm struggling. I want to know, how do I get more playing time? Or how do I do better in this class? Like, maybe you need to lean in some healthy conflict or having a difficult conversation. Now, maybe you've already tried that, and you'd say, no, I've already tried that, I've already, I've already tried it, and maybe what God is teaching you right now is how to be a better leader. 
That God wants to promote you, and he's going to promote you one day into a position of leadership. And he's saying, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember these feelings so that when you have a position of authority, a position of power, that you don't treat others the way you've been treated. So maybe that's what God's doing. Maybe God is saying, all right, I want you, I want you to, to lean into me. I want you to talk to me. I have a better vision for your life. I want you to talk to me and listen to me and listen to me guide you as I paint the better place, as I move you to a better place. Second, maybe God's calling you to step up into leadership. Maybe, I mean, I think sometimes, it's not the only cause of bad leadership in our world, but sometimes we have bad leadership in our world is because the good people, the right people who should step up, hang back out of a kind of, I don't know, false humility, laziness, I don't know, slothfulness. But we hang back and then there's a, there's a vacuum and when there's a vacuum of leadership, the wrong people will step up. And my parents used to have a plaque in their house in the basement and it's, it stuck with me and it said this, it's like, I wonder why somebody didn't do something about it. But then I realized I am somebody. And I thought it was like a self-esteem kind of thing, but I think it's more, it was a challenge, like step up when you see problems in the world. And you might be thinking like Moses, well, I'm not that competent, I'm not that smart, I'm not that qualified, and guess what? You're right. But God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. God provides on-the-job training to grow us up to be the kind of leaders he can use. I remember many years ago with this church, you know, probably 20 years ago now at this time, I remember being able to see that there was really great potential in our parish and God wanted to do some great things. And I saw that and as kind of a second chair leader, I saw that and I'm like, I- I'm not good enough to be a part of this. And for a long time, I wrestled with that. I thought about quitting and walking away because I couldn't see how God could use me. But as I wrestled with that, again, kind of come to reality, it's, it's not about me or at least not about me alone. It's not about you. It's about what God wants to do in you and through you as you step up into leadership. And it's not about you working for God. It's about God working with you. God is looking for partners, for people who will bring his grace and his mercy in this world. He uses leaders to do that. So maybe God's calling you to step up. Third application is just to continue reading through Seriously God. Maybe through this conversation, you, you, you don't feel satisfied about why God allows the wrong people to be in charge. We address um, some, we raise some other Bible stories that help us to know the heart and the mind of God when the wrong people are in charge. So that might help you. And of course, if you're in a small group, be prepared to discuss that this week. And as we wrap up, one final thought. In some way, all of us are leaders because leadership is influence, and you influence someone. If you're a parent, you influence your kid. If you're a teacher, you influence the kids in your classroom. If you, if you uh, again, are a, are a coach, you influence the kids, the, the people playing for you. If you lead people in an organization or as a manager, there's people looking to you to influence them well. And so middle school students, high school students, college students too, you might not think of yourself as a leader, but younger kids, they are looking up to you. You have influence. You have leadership. And so when we are frustrated by poor leadership, when we're getting angry and upset, what's the right answer? Well, in some ways, the answer is for us to lead better. What's the answer to bad leadership? It's good leadership. 
It's choosing to lose a little, the little bit of authority, the little bit of power, the little bit of influence we have to love God and serve others. What's the answer to bad leadership from us? Should be good leadership. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Moses and we thank you, God, you paint this vision of the relationship you wanna have with each and every one of us. That you wanna come, we want, you want us to come to a place where we would call you our friend, that we are friends with you. And God, I pray for people today that are struggling under poor leadership, that are crying out to you. I pray, God, I know that you hear their cries. We, I pray, God, that they would lean into you more and that you would give them a vision of where you're leading to them, that broad space that you are leading them. And God, we pray for each of us that whatever leadership and influence we have, we would use that for your glory. We would use that to love you, to serve others. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.